Hello and welcome back to another episode of Otaku Susume, or Recommendations from My Otaku Spouse. I'm Wes. And I'm Jen. So, let's get started. So, we are back. Today, we are going to be venturing into the world of video games. Woo! Video games! Uh... Brand new, kind of. But not. But yeah. not. Switch game came out that I was very excited for as soon as I saw the trailer. It's the remake of Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening. <laughs> I was about to say Link to the Past. <laughs> wrong game. Wrong game. Wrong game. Wrong. I mean, they're all the same. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> this coming from the woman who's only played Minish's Cap and Phantom Trimaker. Hourglass. Phantom Hourglass. And now I've played Breath of the Wild as well. Uh, I suppose you have. Yeah, they're all the same. Those three games (laughs) are... I mean, if you want to say there's similarities between Link's Awakening, Link to the Past, Oracle of Seasons, Oracle of Time, all that, maybe I'd give a little leeway. But when you pick a 3D game, a top-down game, (laughs) and an open-world Zelda game... What is the matter with you? So I was brought like I grew up with the PlayStation. I never had Nintendo, and Boo. so and so I never, as a child, wasn't really exposed to Zelda, Mario, Kirby, those kinds of games. And Wes was. So I grew up with a Game Boy Wes and then a Super Nintendo. Played <laughs> Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. A button. And Link's Awakening, admittedly, has always been one of my favorite Zelda games. So when I saw the remake, I was pretty excited. Yeah. And I hadn't. So, of course, Wes was like, let's get it, let's play it, and then let's talk about it. Yes. Which is why we're here today to talk about Link's Awakening. Woo! Woo! Um, There were quite a few changes in the game compared to the old Game Boy game. And it was really interesting playing it. And then watching you play it. Because Jen told me I couldn't play it around her because she wanted to go into it fresh, which I totally agreed with. Yes. But because I knew what was happening, I watched her play through it. Yes. It was also interesting because I played it in Japanese and Wes played it in English. Also true. But it was... When I approached the game, mentally, I think I was still stuck in Game Boy World. And so I was doing things that were limitations on the Game Boy that weren't limitations on the Switch. So then when I watched you play it, and you'd attack puzzles in different ways without that mental block in your way. That I was going, oh, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> um, I remember specifically there's a gap that you had to get across. And you just turned around and fired your hook shot at a diagonal and zipped across the gap. And I was going, that's not how you do that puzzle. <laughs> going, you can't fire a hook shot diagonally. What's going on Well, here? there was one where I think I accidentally broke the game by jumping I did like a button puzzle, but I did it way earlier than you were supposed to do it. I guessed completely by chance how to do it. And you were like, you shouldn't have been able to do that just oh, because yeah, I was, think I found a slight bug in the game. It, it was in uh, Angler's Cave and there's the bit with the glowy stones. Yeah. And you made a jump that you weren't supposed to be able to jump that far. Well, you didn't even make the jump. I it didn't fell make in the water, the jump. but the game still counted you as landing on the platform. Yeah. So I managed to unlock that section of the game way earlier, which threw me off the pacing for the for Yeah, the which, which kind of screwed up the rest of the dungeon, because <laughs> yeah. you're like, wait, I already have this, how do I do this? And it's like, you're not supposed to have that yet. <laughs> so there, there is some interesting changes by adding, because in the original Game Boy game, you went up, down, left, and right. There yes. were no diagonals. And that definitely brought some changes to the game. Um, the shield became a lot more powerful. In the original game, you had to block the direction attacks were coming. And in this game, when they're giving you more, they're giving you eight directions of shield, 
There was puzzles that you could solve just by standing in a corner and putting out your shield and nothing could hurt you. Or you couldn't do that in the original game. Mm. So that there was definitely some interesting change or just i mean there is some minor things too like when you throw bottles into bottles they break now as opposed to just the bottle you've thrown breaking but there was by changing it into an eight direction way there were some big changes that i didn't pick up on because i'm going oh yeah in the game boy you can go up down left and right so it's gonna so be the you same, were still right? moving up down left and right and not really diagonal so much yeah huh how many times did you clear um link's awakening when you had the game boy i have no idea so a number of times a number of times well I don't, you wouldn't have found it, because watching you, I saw you die. There's... Wait, what? You died in the game. Yeah, I know, I died. I died twice. Yes. Yes. If you beat the game without dying, the ending cutscene is slightly different. Oh, that's what you meant by the secret ending. That's what I meant by it. It's, it's, there's a slight end uh, difference to the ending, but you have to beat the game without dying. Oh, how do you do that? Uh, you play it like I played it, <laughs> and you beat the game without dying. Multiple times, fair enough. Um, no, I mean, the first time I played the game, I died multiple times then someone had told me that so i had to go back and replay the game until i beat it without dying um and so when i played it this time i just made sure to do that again because i wanted to see what it looked like updated and all that good stuff but so yeah i played it enough that i could do that again in a new system all that blah 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 mm. and then there was other changes they added a bunch more secret seashells they added in more heart containers things like that and um, what were there any other like big changes that you thought from the 3ds but not 3DS, Derp, the Game Boy version? I, I mean, the biggest change is, of course, going to be you're not on a Game Boy and you're not stuck with two buttons anymore. In, oh, yeah, did only have two buttons. In the Game Boy, you have two buttons, and you always have to choose which items are on those two buttons. And that includes things like your shield and your sword. Oh. Whereas on the Switch, you always have your shield equipped, you always have your sword equipped, and once you unlock them, you always have the power bracelet and the... Um, pegasus boots equipped mm. any point in the switch game you can just hold the l button to dash across the screen yes in the game boy you had to equip your pegasus boots oh that must be annoying so i mean you... i changed equipment a lot in this game so i can't imagine like being limited to even more items yeah so like, if you wanted to do a long jump in the game boy you equip your pegasus boots and your rocks feather but that means you don't have a sword equipped you're mm. not attacking anything you're doing your long jump and then you're probably immediately pausing to put your sword back on <laughs> I can see why they uh, made uh, the quality of life improvement then. Definitely, definitely. And But on that thing, I think some of the quality of life improvements negatively impacted the game. Oh, like and I what? think that from watching you play it. Oh, like, like what? In the original Game Boy game, you, so there's the warp points. Yes. And they made two changes to the warp points, one of which I agreed with and one of which I disagreed with. In the original Game Boy game, when you went into a warp point, it just warped you to the next one. You didn't control which one it went to. So oh. if you wanted to continue warping around the map, you just kept Warping. stepping on the warp point. Oh, God, that would be so annoying. So, like, if you wanted to go, I don't remember the exact order, but it went, like, um, the plains to the foothills to Animal Village to Dungeon 8 or something like that. And so if you wanted to go to the next one, you just had to keep warping around the circle. But there was also only four warp points. So being able to change it to now when you go into a warp point, you choose where to warp to, I think that was a very positive change. The negative thing, and some a lot of people are going to disagree with me with, I know I've seen uh, a review that already called this out as a great change online, is I think they added in too many warp points. How many warp points? I think, I mean, there were, I didn't feel like there were too many for me. So in the original game, but... there were four warp points. Ouch. There was, there was... And there like eight or nine in this one? Well, that's... Um... 
I guess technically there's a fifth warp point that you can only get to when you use the ocarina to get to Mambo's Pond. But now I think that might even be a real warp. I don't remember in this one. But um, so you had the plains, you had Animal Village, you had the foothills out there outside of Angler's Cave, and you had the one that you could find midway through Dungeon 8. And that was it. And in this game, they added in the one down by um, the lake, the one up by Dungeon 7, up by the tower, Eagle's Tower. Oh, okay. Um, they added in the one at the Secret Sea Shell Hut. Yep. And they added in the one outside of Dungeon 8, not just the one inside of Dungeon 8. That was funny, because I found the one next to the sea- Seashell Hut, and you must have still been in Game Boy mode, because I warped there, and you were like, wait, hold on a second, where did that come from? I'm like, I found it. I dug it up. That, though, is one of the two warp points that I think negatively impacted the oh, game specifically. Oh, it was so convenient, and the reason, the reason why, and I've got a good reason for this, is because they put in enough warp points that you didn't have to walk around the map anymore. Ah. And you were sitting there between two dungeons going, you looked at me and you went, I have a stick. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with a stick. Yes. And if that warp point didn't exist, you would have walked past Terran standing um, by the honey uh, comb, and you would have already gotten rid of your stick. Oh, that's why. <laughs> but because you'd unlocked that warp point. I didn't have to walk that way anymore. You never had to walk across the prairie anymore. And so you had a stick forever not yeah. knowing what to do with it. Yeah, I did. And I that didn't, was a problem. I didn't get the item till the end of the game. Another problem, which came later, which was the one at Eagle's Airy. Sorry, there's going to be spoilers in this review. Slightly. Well, I mean, it's not like we're spoiling the story. There isn't really much of one. It's true. But the other, <laughs> like the one with Eagle's Airy, though, is you'd already unlocked that, because I saw it on your map, before you got to Dungeon 7. Yes. And so when you had to go to Dungeon 7, you just warped back up there. And then you couldn't figure out how to get in. I remember you told me you uh, had to figure it out. Yeah, I had to. I had to look it up. If because... you'd been exploring the hills at that point, as opposed to warping back to the tower, yeah. you would have found the dude in the chicken hut who would have been like, "Oh, did you know that back in the old days, chickens and roosters could fly?" And that's your clue to go back to the shrine of the flying oh. rooster to do that, that part of it. Okay, no, that was unfair. I had no idea you could push that statue. Oh, they'll tell you about it. But the thing, but you didn't have any reason to go look at it further because you could warp straight to the tower as opposed to talking to the weird guy yeah. in the hills who wants to know about old flying roosters. But I completely forgot about the statue in town. Uh, true. Like I, there were several points where I'd forgotten about places, or I, because I was playing it in Japanese, there were a few bits that I didn't quite understand, and so I, I thought I understood the meaning, and then completely missed the mark. And you were like go talk to that person again i'm like i don't understand what why and that was mostly a problem in the dungeons where um the owl spoke entirely in katakana oh the owls yeah not just katakana but also old speak so there was a bit where i think he was supposed to say bakuhatsu to explode something but instead because it had a weird ending to it, I didn't understand that that's what he was saying. Yeah. And so I completely missed what I was supposed to do for something because I couldn't understand what he was saying. And I think that'll be difficult for Japanese kids as well, because reading entirely in katakana is really hard to understand. There was actually something about that recently. Um, off topic, we are recording this as one of the largest typhoons is about to smash into Tokyo. Yes. There is already tons of damage. And there was something it's interesting. smashing on, it right now, actually. Yeah, true. But there was something on Twitter yesterday, I believe, 
that the NHK posted. Uh, I think it was about two days ago. Two days ago. There was, you know, a special notice for foreigners in Japan. Well, not just foreigners. It was for NHK Easy, NHK News Easy. It specifically said, Gaikokujin no mina e. Oh, okay. Why didn't they just post it in English then? Because as they also came out to say, not all foreigners speak English. Ah, okay, fair But enough. the entire post was written in hiragana. No spaces, just a block of hiragana. And that is always the worst thing in the world to read. Yes. It's horrible. So when you've got an owl speaking classical Japanese all in katakana trying to give you hints as to how to get around a dungeon, yep. it's a pain in the ass. Yep. At least he had spaces in between the words. That's true. But yeah. <laughs> the owl was also an interesting little tidbit in that it was my first initial clue that they were pulling the game and the translation from the Game Boy Color version. Oh, has it? In the original Game Boy game, it was just, uh, you'd find these stone slabs around the dungeon, and there'd be a hole in them, and you'd find a fragment of stone slab, and that's what it was, as opposed to stone beaks and owl statues. Mm. So there is, I, I had only ever played the original uh, black and white Game Boy one. I'd never played the color remake because I wasn't going to go rebuy a game that I didn't need. Yeah. When I had the original, and I liked the original. But I knew some of the changes. So what about some of the other changes? Because I was playing in Japanese, and you were watching me while knowing the English very well. And there were a few parts where you exclaimed with frustration as I played it in Japanese because of certain translation yes. choices in yes. the English. <laughs> very much so. Um, I guess on a minor level, one thing that I thought that the English did really well, which again, I know some people are disagreeing with me because you liked a tweet recently where someone was saying, oh, they stuck to the old English or the well, old Game Boy I, translation. And I, I don't think that's very good. I'd never played the original English. So I just assumed that they were speaking from experience. They might. Like, I, mean, I don't know this person on Twitter. I just, I think that the translation works really well for the game. Um I don't think, like, for the owl that's constantly fluttering around, because there's owl statues and there's a literal owl. And the owl, I didn't, you know, they don't overdo anything to try to make him sound old and archaic or anything. Or when old man Orira talks to you on the phone, they kind of give him an old-timey voice, yeehaw, and all that. But they don't they don't overdo it or anything. So I, th I thought it worked really well. Yeah, because kids are supposed to understand it. Yeah. Um I think a great change in the English translation is that I noticed every dungeon you're in is whenever you'd pick up the uh, key to the boss room, you'd be like, ah, you got the key to the boss room, blah, 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 blah. And in the English translation, all the bosses are named nightmares, oh. which as the Japanese title for the game is um, Yume Omidu Shima or the island uh, dreams or however it's translated. I don't, I mean, in obviously in English, it's Link's Awakening. Yeah. And but I whole, think it's the Island of, the Island of Dream. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but the whole thing has, you know, a dream and a sleep kind of theme going through it. And so having the bosses be nightmares that you're fighting while sleeping, I thought worked really well. Because ah, in Japanese, they just call them boss. Yeah. It's literally just bossu. Yeah. Because that's whole boss keys, like the whole, uh, great series on youtube called boss keys which everyone should totally go watch by game makers toolkit they're great definitely watch them but so i thought that was something that the english translation did really well by changing those to nightmare and taking a little bit of liberty there but was that in the original game boy or was it a an update for the switch version that was in the original game boy okay because i think that's what the tweet was saying was that the english is based on the original game boy version and they didn't really change much between the two but i thought that the tweet was saying that that was 
a bad thing. Yeah, they were saying a bad thing. They thought that they could have modernized it. There were some parts that I thought should have been modernized. Um, in every dungeon, you get a compass. Mm. Uh, you get There's two items in every dungeon, a map and a compass. And the map shows you the dungeon layout, and the compass tells you where chests are hidden. As well as where you are. As well as where you are. And one of the things that the compass also does is it makes a sound when you walk into a room where a key is hidden. And in the original Game Boy, and in this game, they didn't change it. Every time you get the compass, it tells you, this compass comes with a new feature. A tone will sound when you enter a room where a key is hidden. That is true. And it annoys the heck out of me. Because <laughs> so you've already told me that. I know it. Well, in the original and in the original Game Boy, it makes sense. Yeah. Because you're working with a fixed budget of space. And so there's going to be like one message in the code that says, when you get a compass, play this message. Uh... So that makes sense to me because you've got your fixed ROM size. With a game like this, you don't have that anymore. You've got as much space as fits on an SD card, and you can put in two messages. That's true, but we don't know if behind the scenes they were pulling from one line or the same line repeated multiple times. But I I think that's part of what annoyed me is I don't think you need to do that anymore because they reprogrammed this whole game from scratch. Yes. There is probably Oh, they could no, have easily programmed yeah, in an extra line for each no dungeon. There is no code in here that came from the original Game Boy, um, except for, I guess, the text, kind of, maybe, I don't know. But the other thing that annoyed me about it is when the Game Boy game came out, that was a new feature for the Compass. There had been three Zelda games before that, two on the NES, one on the SNES, and the Compass didn't do that in those games. Oh, so So, when it came out in color, they were like informing people. So when the game came out in 95, no, not even in Game Boy Color, when it came out in 1995 on the original Game Boy. Oh, on the original Game Boy, okay. That was a new feature for the Compass. But now we are 24 years later... The Compass has done that in other games. It's not a new feature anymore, either for Link or for the players. Oh, so what they should have said is rather than saying it's a new feature, they should have just said, oh, it also does this. Yeah, I think you should just remove that entirely. So that annoyed me. Fair enough. Um, You know, I don't remember if that was in the Japanese. I don't think it ever said it was a new feature. I think it just said, oh, it also alerts you when there are keys in the room. I don't would have to go check, I guess. I don't remember. Yeah. But so that that was, there were some of those, hang- and it was weird because some of those things felt like hangovers from the Game Boy game that didn't need to be there. And some of the things felt like they changed things just because they could. Like one of the messages that I don't know why it stuck with me forever, but it has stuck with me forever, is it used to be whenever you'd find a secret seashell throughout the entire game, it'd be like, you found a secret seashell. If you collect a lot, enough of these, something good is bound to happen. Yeah. That was the English message. In the original Game Boy, that wasn't the message in the Switch game. They changed no. it to something, and I don't remember what it was. I think, because at I least in Japanese, it was like, if you collect all of these, you can get a powered-up version for your sword. Oh, does it actually tell you it that? It tells you you get a yeah a level up for your sword oh, in Japanese. Oh, that's interesting, because in the English, and in the remake of the English, it doesn't tell you that either. Actually, I'm just... Um, that reminds me, I think they did actually change a lot of text for the Switch version. Because obviously they would have had to do localization quality assurance, which means playing through the entire game and seeing if it works. And it seems like um, if you are interested in how the original Game Boy and the Japanese versus English translation kind of changed between the two, you should definitely check out Liz Bushhouse on Twitter at L-I-Z-B. B-U-S-H-O-U-S, and she's tweeting, she's been tweeting since the beginning of October um, the differences between the Game Boy Color version, the Switch, and then again between the Japanese and the English, and I'm flicking through her tweets now, and there are a couple of differences 
between the Game Boy Color English and the Switch version. So it seems like they did update it slightly, but not too much, so that old fans wouldn't notice. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't notice. I mean, except for some of the standout ones, like the changing for the secret seashells. Yeah, but just in everyday conversation, uh, they did change the old lady with the broom. Oh, did they? Yeah, um, she's back to saying Yahoo. Oh, in English? Yeah. Oh, okay. They removed Yahoo in one of the versions. I don't remember if it was the original. I don't remember when, but she uh, there was a bit where she didn't say Yahoo anymore because Yahoo was a rival company. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the official reason, but that it, did happen. It could have been character limit, which you obviously don't have in the Switch. No, because they just replaced it with, like, yippee. Oh, okay. Yeah, they didn't just, they replaced it, they didn't just remove it. Uh... So that makes me think there was more to it. Um, you know the worst change, though? What? In the whole thing. What? The worst change in the whole thing was something that frustrated the heck out of me as a child. Oh, yeah, you mentioned this when this happened. And you didn't have it. It uh, it killed me. And part of it, I think, is kind of like with a compass. Yeah. They're expecting people who played this game to have played the games before it, which this was my first Zelda game as a kid. And you're in Bottle Grotto, I believe. I think it's a second dungeon. And you go to one of the... stone owls and you put the beak in and all it says is first the pole's voice last the stealthos mm-hmm. and that's all it says in english first the pole's voice last the stealthos and as a kid that meant nothing to me that meant nothing which was really annoying because you had to know that to get to unlock a secret staircase to go to the yeah. boss key and I went up to it. And yeah, and Jen goes up. And what does it say in Japanese, Jen? It says, Jen? Uh, first, the long ears. Second, the skull knight. And you're like, what the hell? Like, what I was, the I, fuck? I was annoyed. You were really annoyed. Because... It was, I was like, what? What's wrong? And you're like, nothing. It's nothing. Just keep playing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> because as a kid who hadn't played a Zelda game before, what the heck is a pole's voice <laughs> and what the heck is a stealthos? Nowadays, you wanted to ask me what a stealthos is or a keys or whatever. No problem. But as a kid, first the pole's voice, then the stealthos, I had no idea. All I knew was that there was a room and the compass would tell me as I walked in that something in there was hidden. You had no idea how to unlock it. would just keep going. I'm glad they updated the sound. Oh, my goodness. It was just... You'd always get that little, you did it wrong buzzer sound. Yeah. Because I had no idea what a stealthos or a pole's voice was. And for you, it's just, oh, I got to kill the rabbit. And I got to make sure to kill the Skull skeleton knight, knight yeah. last. <laughs> oh, that, that. It caused pain, dear. Because I didn't have to suffer like you did. Physical pain. Because I didn't have to suffer. Exactly. Well, I suffered in other ways because I got stuck, so... You got you know. stuck because you had an excess of warp points. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but on the flip side, there were other throwbacks that you did get stuck on. Yes. Because, like, when you get to the final bosses, you have to face Agamemnon and Ganon. Uh, yes? The wizard throwing fireballs and the giant guy with a spear throwing flaming bats at you. Yeah, he was annoying. Yeah, because you never fought them before. No. Yeah, that's because... You fought both of those guys in Link to the Past. Oh, I've never played Link to the Past. I know, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
there's also bits where the game just expects you to be it it's an updated game but it's also still it's still it, an old it's game. still an old game. it's still based on an old game it, exp- it so it doesn't do nearly as much hand holding which as modern i games really do. liked but it but it's in that case it expects you to like talk to every villager uh, it expects you to read every book. Ah, uh, I remember yeah. in one of the dungeons. I think it was actually Bottle Grotto again, um, where you couldn't figure out how to kill the shy guys. Yes, no, I got completely stuck at them. You can figure, and it was because you know the default link attack is you got a sword, and if you hold the sword, you do a spin attack. I didn't know you had you could do a spin attack. Yeah, you know where the game tells you to do that. One of the books in the library. Oh, I should have read this. <laughs> but that's, that's just it. It's in a modern game, as soon as you pick up the sword, it would be like, press B to swing the sword. Yes. And it'd be like, if you hold down B, you, you can tutorial. do a spin attack. There'd be a little mini tutorial as soon as you pick up the sword. This is a game from 95. It doesn't do that. Yeah. It expects you to go talk to every villager and read every book. In a way, I think I, I liked that it didn't hold your hand so much like modern games. Like, um, one of my favorite games from the modern era is definitely um horizon zero dawn i love that game so much it's amazing however and you pointed this out as well when you were watching me play it it holds your hand kind of the entire way through because you can pretty much go okay i'm just gonna follow this direction these arrows to go to the next mission i don't really have to do any thinking it's just move and then complete mission and then move to the next one whereas this one had a lot of you had to kind of be clever about how you played it which i liked because it was definitely a a change in style from what i'm used to from modern games yeah but it is a it's a huge departure you know yes. it, it comes from the era when nintendo hard meant nintendo it was hard, hard. yeah yeah <laughs> which i didn't have as a kid because i grew up with playstation yeah and there were still hard games on playstation oh yeah but it was it was starting to move more into the let's explain to players what's going on yeah. as opposed to you get a player's manual and you get the game and that's it. And I think that's definitely an issue with like um I heard um one of the one of the Zelda games, um, Skyward Sword. I heard that one is very handholdy and very annoying because it literally tells you how to solve every single puzzle. Whereas up to that point, the Zelda games have always been kind of, here's a puzzle, work it out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the long-standing Zelda memes is always, hey, listen. And that came from Ocarina of Time and the little fairy that would fly yeah. around you and be like, hey, listen. Oh, so maybe that was one that holds hold your hand. No, Skyward Sword is the one that's known to do it like, oh, okay. too much. But Ocarina <laughs> of Time is the one where it's like, hey, you picked up a boomerang in this dungeon. Hey, listen. If you throw it at the boss, and you're like, shut up, shut up. That's actually the problem with um, a certain company's video games, where they have, like, hour-long tutorials, and it's so annoying, even in their mobile games. (laughs) I'm, yeah, I'm not going to say what company it is, but it's like, oh my god, I get it. It's like, why are these tutorials so annoyingly long? (laughs) They don't need to be this long. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Like, let your players have a little bit of freedom to explore. Yes, and work it out. Yeah. Although on the flip side, I watched a YouTube video recently where um, this guy, I need to show it to you. I haven't shown it to you yet. Um, He, his wife has never played video games before. And so he sits her down and she plays, I think, like eight different games. And he watches her to see how she tackles certain things. And because she has literally no gaming kind of vocabulary, no gaming knowledge. I kind of similar to how I had no previous 
Zelda experience, besides a few games which I played like over a decade ago, I struggled with certain parts that to you were common sense. And yes. so it was interesting watching this YouTube video because to her, like she had no idea, whereas to him he was like common sense. And I think one of the ones was Mario 2 and oh, from a kid why would you he choose that? I think cuz he he as a kid he he was told that he could dash, but obviously there's no tutorial for that and so when she played it, she couldn't da- Oh wait, was it Mario 2 or a different? I one? mean that that could very well be, but I think part of that would be going back to what I was saying where in old games you got a manual and you read it. Oh uh, yeah. Like which you don't have with digital versions anymore. They've yeah. gotten rid of manuals. Yeah, that's which is a shame. I'll put a link to that YouTube video in the show notes because it's really, really interesting. But also, if you want to start someone on a Mario, don't start him with Mario 2. <laughs> that was... Oh, that's actually one of the things I like, really liked about this game. What's that? Did you notice all the Mario characters? Yeah, I did. What was... Was that in the original? Like oh, yeah. the um, one ones and yeah, the Chom Choms? Is that the what they're called? Chom Chain Choms. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, Chain Choms. And the little mushrooms, yeah. Piranha Plants. <laughs> yeah. Shy Guys. Um, I can't remember what their official name is, but little fireballs that kind of pop up out of the ground. Ah, uh, oh, they're from Mario. That's from Mario. Uh, Mario was in the game, except for they called him Terran. Wait, what? Luigi was. Yeah, Mar- that's Mario in the original game. It's more obvious because it's a sprite. But the that's guy running to be around, Mario? To, no, no, the guy running around trying to collect all the mushrooms. Yeah, Marin's dad. That's yeah. just Mario himself. What? The dude up in the uh, hills mushroom? who's playing I mean, around Ma- with Mario them boosters is a mushroom muncher. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> the dude up in the hills trying to collect all the parrots. That's pretty much Luigi. What really? The frog who teaches you the ocarina song. That yeah. was the boss from Mario Two. That's Wart. What? It, this thing is chock full of Mario characters, and admittedly, in level seven, you do find Kirby. Yes, yes. Kirby was there. Kind of, but it was like an off-brand Kirby. Yeah. Do you know why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Originally, this game wasn't supposed to be made back in 95. Really? This was a bunch of employees screwing around after work with a Game Boy dev kit. And the guy was like, I wonder if we can make something like Link to the Past on Game Boy. Oh. And so they were screwing around with a Game Boy dev kit, and they got it to a playable enough state that people looked at it and said... Oh, we can make uh, a game out of this. Let, let's let's finish this and release it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why there's all the Mario characters. Huh. Nice job. And now they're still around. Actually, that's another thing that I really liked about this game was it was a small, tight game. It oh, was, yeah. I mean, you, it may have been a couple of guys playing around, but it was incredibly well thought out. There was a lot of running backwards and forwards of different sections, a lot of puzzles that and discoveries that you could make. And it didn't need to be like Breath of the Wild, where it's just so expansive and there's nothing really to do between certain areas. It was a, there's always something to discover in every single little area you go to. And it was incredibly well designed and balanced, which I think is sorely lacking in a lot of modern games. And I think one of the problems for that is what I was saying earlier kind of as a negative, honestly, it was size limits. Yeah, It used to be you had a strict size limit of whatever your cart size was. The game had to fit on a Game Boy cart. You couldn't put in DLC or downloadable patches or whatever. You had your Game Boy cart, you had that size limit, and once it was released, that was it. Actually, that is still a problem with modern games. Like I think there's actually a problem in Link's Awakening. It's a frame rate issue. Oh, that's... I'd say that's more of a programming issue. No, I think it's because... Actually, it could be a programming issue. They probably should have reduced the frame rate right from the start so it was consistent. It's, and so it wasn't. it didn't show so much when it dropped. But 
a lot of modern games, they try to make it so pretty, and in doing so causes the game to slow down, which causes frame rate issues, which then they either have to sacrifice the um, graphics in order to make up for that, or just have to swallow the frame rate and be, say to people, you know, you just got to put up with it. Yeah, that that really stuck out in this game, too, because yeah. it didn't feel that graphically intensive. No, it really didn't. So when you got that really weird juddering part, it really stuck out as a sore thumb, which was weird. Yeah. Because it's a modern game. It's not made by Nintendo. It's licensed to whoever it was. I mean, it was probably made by a third party yeah, it was 100%. It was actually it was made by the crew that did the remakes of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask for 3DS. Ah. And then this one wasn't... I mean, it was a remake, but it wasn't just a remaster. It was building it from scratch, yeah. whereas I mean, the other ones were remasters. That is happening a lot now, is re- like companies are hiring smaller developers in order to remake their older games. And it more often than not works really well, because it's great experience for the smaller company, and the bigger company make huge profits off of this. Yeah, and they get their name out there. Yeah. And, I mean, despite the slowdowns also, I thought this did really well. Yes. But I do think the old style where when a game was done, it was done. Yes. (laughs) I think that would kind of just... It it forced companies to either make a good, tight game. Yes. Or you wind up like E.T. for the Atari, where it's so bad you get dumped in a landfill for someone to find later. Yes. Like, it's so annoying... That companies now can run their developers into the ground and then release a game that's full of bugs and then come out with a one-day patch that people have to download. So many games have day zero or day one patches just because the game isn't actually ready for them to hit whatever deadline they had. And it's like, why didn't you like either schedule it properly or, you know, I mean, what about people who don't have the internet? It's still a thing. Yeah. And, And admittedly, this is a little bit, you know, we are a little bit wrong, so if you want to disagree with me, put it in the comments, but I'm also going to try to address your complaint right now. There were, like, 1.0 and 1.1 and 1.2 versions of old games, but they never told anyone. They just make sure the next batch of carts that were pressed didn't have a bug from the old one and mm, stuck it out there. Yeah. So, actually, I've been watching some speedrunning lately. And mm-hmm. There are people who talk about, like, oh, if you're going to speedrun Link to Pat, uh, whatever yeah a link to the past you want to make sure to get the japanese 1.0 cart because it's got a couple of tricks you can do that were patched out later so there were things like that but it was done so seamlessly that the end user never really noticed yeah because by the time like the people who get the first edition play it through and then it gets patched and they don't realize it's being patched because they're not going to play it again you're not going to go buy or they're not going to rebuy it yeah. yeah and and the games themselves were never that broken to really stand out and because if they, were, they knew they had to get a working game before they released it. Yeah. Which developers don't have to do anymore. Nope. You've got endless hard drive space. You've well, got not, not endless. Not but endless, but it feels like it at yeah. times. Like when you go like, oh, I'm going to get this game. And then you have a day zero patch that's 45 gigabytes. It's like, you just replaced everything that was on the disc. What's the point of me having this? <laughs> or like ever patch that's six months late and it's like a 1.5 gig patch for the 3DS. Yeah. Not that I've had experience with that. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I do. I really do think that some of the old qualities coming through in this game, despite the fact it's a modern release, are things that modern developers should look for and try to emulate. Which I think is something that modern indie games are doing, which is probably why we're having a big boom with indie games nowadays, is that they, I mean, you 
modern indie games are definitely copying the old pixel games, like either Metroidvania or the Zelda or Mario. Those kind of games are definitely heavily inspired, and so a lot of modern indie games are always going to be the pixelated not pixelated ones <laughs> like, maybe the adult ones are going to be pixelated but i mean the pixel games it's and it's you kind of get two categories of it though because you get the ones like um celeste or i've forgotten the name of it but the one where it's kind of a 2d puzzler where you can wind back time oh yes um oh crumbs yeah i know which one you're yeah. talking about uh, you get the ones like that that are very it, it's weird they use like they feel modern in the fact that the color palette has too many colors to actually be on an <laughs> nes but then the the character detail almost feels like an NES game. Yes. But then you also get the ones like uh, recently, you and I have both been playing through Hollow Knight. Yeah. Hollow Knight is an absolutely gorgeous. So beautiful. The but, music and the art are just. Oh. But it's still all 2D. Yep. You know, uh, it, it's 2D, but it's actually developed on Unreal Engine and was developed on a 3D platform. So it's technically 3D, but you're playing it on a 2D spectrum. Wow. Yeah. I have to show you a video of how they animated it. It's really cool. That's cool. I, but I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> but and it, but I think, honestly, something like that, I think, looks better in the end product than something like uh, Bloodstained. I think Bloodstained looks good, and I like the fact that they took the criticism that people said it didn't and went back and redid a lot of it to make sure it looked better. But I still think that a clean, an incredibly clean, sprite-based 2D game looks better than a... Well, I think it's because it was made by the, obviously, the original developer of... Um, Symphony of the Night. Symphony of the Night. So he was working off what he already knows, whereas games like Hollow Knight and Celeste are taking inspiration from those older games True. and putting their own spin on them. True. But yeah, but I do think when you look at games like this and that, there is a lot of those indie games that are drawing heavy influence from the SNES yeah. period and such. But have you noticed how they never draw uh, inspiration from like the PlayStation 1 era? What? You mean nobody wants to make ff7 again no oh wait <laughs> <laughs> well technically no one wanted to do that which is why it took them so long to actually find developers who would do it and they ended up doing it in-house anyway and when you made when they made ff7 they just said oh what if it looked like ff15 <laughs> we're not actually going to make the characters look like the old ff7 characters no because nobody wanted well, nobody wants to make clunky playstation one era polyglon polyglon polygon like models with the pointy triangle uh boobs from tomb raider hey or... those were hot back in the day <laughs> back in the day <laughs> or uh, like flat-faced cloud <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i guess it's times have moved on and we're all grateful for it <laughs> <laughs> and yet times haven't moved on because we're all still got hard nostalgia bonus for the old pixel games like to some extent i i really do prefer i you always kind of look at the back at the past through rose tinted glasses oh yeah and so like when you go back and replay some of these old games like oh that's actually what it looked like because it's not how you remember it like yeah. your mind you that that was cutting edge for the time so your mind remembers oh it was cutting edge it was so cool and you go back and you play and you're like oh wait a minute yeah, it's kind of like the remastered um final fantasy 8 with the wow you're the hottest guy in the room and his like somebody zoomed in on his face and it's like a pixel mess a pixel mess yeah and then they remastered it and he actually has a face yeah like um, that's like or the ugly the, re the remaster is what you remember but really it was the pixel wait the ugly guy in nine yeah one of the thieves is always called ugly 
one of the thieves oh, in the crew. Yeah. Yeah. But you never really saw anything. He looked the same as everyone else because it was just a pixel mess. <laughs> it wasn't a pixel mess. Final Fantasy IX is a beautiful game and I won't have you slandering it. But this is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's wonderful. And these rotten tinted glasses make everything better. Don't I'm... ruin my childhood. <laughs> lovely (laughs) i'll fight you but i think to some extent like i think some people take the nostalgia a little too far like when i see videos of celeste it is to me it's a little bit off-putting with i think they've gone a little too retro on it i think we need to play it Mm. it's one of the games i really want to play especially because apparently the just the movement and how they programmed the gameplay is really good and really smooth and really um responsive whereas i think a lot of the older games like you've been playing through a couple of the older mario on our switch yeah i mean when you have switch online you get famicom classic and now super famicom classic which is uh, NES classic and snes classic or whatever they call it which has been a lot of fun but i think that's part of it is that when i went back to play some of those old nes games they really show their age yeah the controls you were saying are really frustrating because they're not very responsive there is some issues going back and also without when you're playing them back to back, you really notice like how different Mario controls between Mario World and Mario Three and Mario One. And you're like, "Dang it, Mario! Why'd you jump off that ledge?" <laughs> Whereas I think with modern games like Celeste, is they've kind of. I, I think we really need to play Celeste. Okay, we should play Celeste and talk about it. Okay, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> we could kind of actually probably do an episode on just a lot of these modern 2d things because we're both playing through hollow knight mm-hmm. you just picked up ori in the blind forest for switch yeah. we want to play celeste well, ori in the, yes ori in the blind forest is a yeah 2D it side would scroller. be 2d side scroller um that's kind of metroidvania i don't know i think i don't know i haven't played it i need to play it we'll have to play it and talk about it yeah what a shame <laughs> but to get back on to- topic link's awakening do you think you saw some of what made it one of my favorite games yes 100%. I mean, I could imagine playing that on the Game Boy in the back of the car on like a road trip for several hours. Like, I kind of wish I'd had it, I'd gotten it on color because I think that would have been a really good game to play back then. And so I'm really glad that they came out with the remake of it because I think my coworker was saying like, it's a shame that they remade it because, because it's not what he remembered. But I said, well, if they hadn't remade it, I would have never played it. Because I'm not going to go back and play this old Game Boy Color game because I have so many new games to play now. I have so many other games that I want to go through. And even if I wanted to go back and play it, I probably wouldn't. So I'm really glad that they went ahead and remake it, remade it. Uh, we mentioned, I mentioned earlier that, you know, the same crew redid Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask on 3DS. Yeah, I really want to get those and play them. Do you think it'd be more likely to play them if they re- like re-released those remastered versions on Switch? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Like, Switch is so accessible now. I'm, like, I'm really glad that they made it a very easy system for e- for both large developers and small indie developers to work on because it has so many good games on there now and people are pumping out great game after great game, both indie and nostalgia-filled remakes and, <laughs> like, brand-new developments, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. If they remade it for the Switch, I would 100% play it again. Well, I'm well, pretty sure Nintendo's not listening to our podcast. But it would be nice if it showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts on this or anything we talked about? Uh, no, I think it's a shame that I 
like one thing with the modern era is the internet and so when i did get stuck i i admit i looked a few things up that i probably shouldn't have because <gasps> i lost i got impatient i think that's something that's definitely been drummed out of me now because as we said games are very handholdy but it was a great game it was a tightly designed game and it was so much fun i really really enjoyed it so i'm grateful that you had me play it yay victory <laughs> oh, sorry do 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 <laughs> Um, well, thank you for listening to another episode of Otafu Susume, our recommendations for my otaku spouse. You can find us on Twitter at Annie Creative, as well as on the website, AnnieBrosCreative.com. And you could also find some of our sister podcasts there, uh, Real Japan, where they review live action film versions of anime, manga, and uh, I guess the Prime Animos, which kind of just talks about just anime that's out right now and just general anime themes and then there's also Fujoshi Trash well there kind of is and there isn't there hasn't been a new episode in a while and I don't know if anyone's going to come out again in the future ah they truly are the trashiest of the trash we are the trashiest of the trash I mean they are the trashiest of the trash well thanks for listening and we hope you tune in next time bye bye